0: my name is Drew Simpson. This is Aaron Weiser. I'm the one with the working mic. Um, We're both pastors here. Uh, If this is your first time or you're new, we want you to feel at home here and feel welcome. We're so happy you're here. We also would love to know that you are here so we can say thanks for coming. Um, So the best way to do that is after the service, um, there's a welcome card over the info table. So you go over there, you fill that out and turn it in. And if you do that, you get a free bag. It has an amazing story behind it of a ministry in India that we support. Um, and then uh, as well, um, we you know if you have a prayer request or a question or anything, you can catch us after the service. But also that card is a great way to let us know that you were here, that you have a question, and we'll get back to you. Um, and if you haven't been with us before, this is a time where we get to meet Jesus. We get to discover him uh, in his word. We get to worship together, celebrate, and connect together. It's a real fun time. We got to be in the gym. That's right. And it's we get great. to hear from Skip. Oh, yeah, and we get to hear from Skip. I'll let you pray for him since you have a work. Here. Yeah, that sounds good. So why don't you guys welcome Skip up real quick. Go ahead and give him a hand. The pastor of pastors. So, Song of Solomon.
1: Song of Solomon.
0: You want? Song of Solomon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So I'll uh, pray for you and then. Thanks. Daniel. So, um, uh, Jesus, I just thank you for um, Skip. I ask that um, you would help him to articulate really clearly the things um, that you've laid on his heart from Scripture. I ask that you would make our hearts receptive to your word, um, that it would be um, power to our lives. Um, and I ask also that as Skip uh, dives into the word, that he would um, continue to uh, have a real sense of clarity about what he wants to communicate. Um and uh, that he'd be listening to your voice. Thank you, Jesus, uh, that you're with us this morning, that we get to hear from you uh, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks. i hand those off to you. You don't want to hold on to these? No, I'm good.
1: Well, before we get started in Song of Solomon, um, I just want to make a, a, a clarifying statement. Uh, about the reward that we receive as a result of entrusting ourselves to Jesus, uh, believing in and depending on his death and resurrection as the work that accomplishes our righteousness. And here's what I want to say about that. You may have heard, and it has been, I think, the over, overall message for probably uh, uh, one or two, maybe more uh, generations that the, the objective, the reward for trusting in Jesus, is that when you die, you will go to heaven. <clears throat> and what I want to say about that is that heaven is not the ultimate prize. It is one of the prizes, but it is not the ultimate prize for those of us who trust in Jesus for our salvation. The ultimate prize, for for some reason, I don't know why. Um, but that has se- seems to have been like where we have landed and where we have focused. We've told people, if you want to go to heaven, uh, you better trust Jesus. And people have responded, I, I don't know that I do, right? It sounds a little boring, Maybe. But I'm telling you this morning that that is not the ultimate prize for trusting in Jesus. The ultimate prize for trusting in Jesus is that if we will trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, he will impart to us a place with God. You ever been in a relationship that's been strange? It's awkward. There's weirdness between you and this person, and it just is awkward, And what Jesus has provided for us that we receive by faith is that that weirdness between us and him is gone, that he has completely forgiven everything that would be weird between us. And so the Lord has been speaking about this this reward uh, throughout all of Scripture. It's kind of a, a heavenly concept, something that I don't know that we We are actually fully equipped to understand while we are on earth. We are are limited in our capacity to really grasp what it is to be in perfect relationship with God. And so throughout the scriptures, he gives us metaphors. And as we understand metaphor after metaphor after metaphor, as we begin to see these metaphors layered on top of each other and grasp all that he has to say about this reward, as we grasp that and hold it all together, then we begin to understand what it really is. This relationship with the Lord is one of rest that does not require you to do anything more to be right with the Lord. Isn't that amazing? And so he says, I'm going to show them, I'm going to give them a Sabbath day a day off, and that will be a picture for them of the rest that I'm inviting them into. He says, not only is it a, a, a time of rest, but it's also a, a, like a home, like a place that is defined by promise. And so in our scriptures we read the story of how he has given the nation of Israel a promised land. He says, I'm 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 leading you to this place and I myself will provide it and I will do it because I have promised. So to the capacity that you can trust my promise, to that capacity you can rest in me. This is this is the reward. It's a promise. It's rest. He goes on, he says, another metaphor for this is the coming Messiah. It's not only a place, it's not only a a state of being at rest, but it's also a personality. It's actually a a relationship with a person, the coming Messiah, Jesus himself. Probably the earliest metaphor for, uh, well, not the earliest, but the second earliest metaphor for this reward that He is offering to us if we would only trust in His Son, Jesus. The second earliest metaphor is the Garden of Eden itself. In the midst of this world that is freshly created, in this, in this world that is, as I've taught the ABI students to say, tohu wabohu, formless and void, total chaos, wilderness. In the midst of that, he himself has created a small spot that he has brought some order to. He has brought a piece of the earth to rest, to peace, to order, and he called it the garden. And as we hold all these metaphors together, we begin to understand that the gospel message is inviting us to and offering us for our choosing A relationship that is dependent on his promise a relationship of rest where nothing more is required of me Uh, uh, a relationship that is home and a relationship that is personal and as we step into Song of Solomon I do I say all that to say that one of the uh, uh, that Song of Solomon offers one more layer of metaphor to help us understand that very great reward. It's called the vineyard. And so as you read through Song of Solomon over the next couple weeks and you bump up against that phrase vineyard, I imagine that there's there's an image that comes to mind, right? Uh, Grapes hanging on vines in rows, a vineyard, right? But also that vineyard is speaking of everything that I've just described, a place of promise, a place of rest, a personal relationship. And so with that in mind, you can open your Bibles to Song of Solomon. I understand that there was some panic this morning. that Some of our staff uh, believe that this was actually a fifth Sunday. Um, they didn't check the calendar. And of course, on the fifth Sunday is the Sunday when the kids Would be joining us for worship. And then they realized that, uh, ooh, we're teaching Song of Solomon. We can't have the kids in here for that. And then they realized that I was teaching (laughs) Song of Solomon. And then they remembered that I, a number of weeks ago, had actually resigned. And so there is no, there is no like paycheck (laughs) hanging over my head. Mm, But actually, I'm committed to this morning to being a very good boy and being faithful to the word without getting too carried away. As we step into uh, Song of Solomon, we look at this very, um, uh, what's the word? I'll, let's not put a word to it. It's just a very, well, I'll just say it's a, it's, it is an a, uh, erotic, juicy description of two young people falling in love, moving through the early stages of, of affection and attraction towards marriage, and then stepping into… About midway through, they actually step into a marriage covenant, and then they move out of that marriage covenant into influencing other young couples who are on the front end of their affection and attraction to one another. And so we will read this story. And um, uh, what I notice is how these two people, these main characters, this young man and this young woman, early on in their love for each other, how they interact, how they dance around each other, how they move around each other, um, uh, the, the way they treat each other. What's fascinating to me is that we meet this woman, this young woman, and she has noticed this guy. She is interested in this guy. She actually says to her friends, do you guys know, like, do you know where he's watering his sheep? Maybe we'll just accidentally show up with our own sheep and, uh, and water our sheep where he waters his sheep so we can all just kind of bump into each other, right? You know, do you know where he waters his sheep? And so she's, she's obviously interested, but when she realizes that she is attracted to this guy, something else bubbles to the surface. Her interest in this guy makes her aware of some insecurities about herself. She makes this statement. It's a pretty famous statement. She says early on, she says, I'm wrestling with this tension. She says, dark am I, yet lovely. She says, I I find that I spend every hour of the day in the vineyard working Uh, that there there is no relief for me. Wealth and privilege has not set me up to spend any time inside eating bonbons. No, instead, I have to spend every moment of every day out in the field working. I am very dark and tan from all my labors. And yet, I know that in spite of my lack of privilege and my insecurities, I know that I am lovely. I have something to offer. I could be a good wife to somebody. Uh, I, could, I, could, I, could, uh, I could show a man appropriate affection. And yet I am dark. And so she wrestles with this tension. She begins to explain this, where this insecurity came from, this situation where she has, she's void of any privilege. She says, my mother's sons, I have these older brothers. And isn't that really, girls? Isn't that where it, isn't that where it starts? The, the torture, the, uh, <laughs> the punishment, older brothers, right? She says, I have these older brothers, and they have their own vineyards, and they have forced me to labor in their vineyards. And she says, I actually have my own vineyard. Do you remember what vineyard means? What it's a picture of? It's a picture of rest. It's a picture of relationship. It's a picture of promise. She says, I have my own my own eternity in my heart. And yet, I am not allowed to keep my vineyard. I am busy keeping everyone else's vineyard. And so here I am, I've spent myself on the demands and wishes of everyone but myself. I have a vineyard to offer, but it is unsettled. I have a heart, I have a relationship, I have a capacity for promise but it has been exhausted caring for and addressing the needs of others. And what amazes me is as we move through this book, this young girl goes from this place of dealing with this insecurity, dark am I, yet I'm lovely, this place of insecurity, she meets a man, And that man brings all those insecurities to the surface. But there's something that happens where she all of a sudden changes. She says, dark am I yet lovely. And eventually she will say, but his banner over me is love. The idea of a banner in this culture, uh, in the military field, if there was was a battle going on, someone would put a stake in the ground, a a standard in the ground with a flag waving over it, a banner, and it would tell everyone, this is the place where you can rally, right? Uh, uh, Come back to the banner. This is a safe place. This is a place of promise. This is a place of belonging. And this young girl, wrestling with her insecurities, says of her husband, he's not even her husband yet, at, that, at the point that she says this. She says, his banner over me is love. Would you like to know the secret to this transformation? Would you like to know what, how was it that this man loved her so that she could address and work through her insecurities in such a way that she would move from dark am I yet lovely to his banner over me? I know it. It is love. If you're curious at all, let's take a look at Song, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2. We're going to hear the words of this man who loved so well. I pray with my girls, and it took me a long time to pray with my girls for for their spouse. I know that, like, I know that, you know, James Dobson, if you're a fan of James Dobson and focus on the family, that you're supposed to be doing that since day one, right? Praying for your kids, your daughter's spouse. I I just don't even really want to think about it, to be honest with you. It's taken me a while to pray about that, and, um, and I honestly don't think my girls are really all that interested either. My, my five-year-old told me recently, this is, she straight up said, Dad, I'm just going to marry you and adopt. That's how that's going to work. <laughs> and you know, honestly, I, I'm like, let's stick to that. Yes. <laughs> At least for a while, I'm going to milk that as long as it lasts. You just stay married to me. Bless your heart. But... Since I've begun praying for their spouse, I remind them every night. I say, a husband, a good husband, is a man who knows a set of skills. That being a husband is something that you, uh, a set of skills that you acquire, that that you chase after, that you develop, that you hone, right? So that a man, he doesn't even have to be attractive. He doesn't have to be wealthy, um, all those things, right? But he has to, if he's going to be a good husband, he has to understand a certain set of skills. This man apparently understands these skills. And it shows up in this uh, passage. So let's read it. Song of Solomon 2, 10 through 15. The man is speaking to the girl. And she calls him my beloved. My beloved speaks to me and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle doves is heard in our land. The fig trees ripen its figs, and the vines are in blossom, and they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O oh, my dove, in the cleft of the rocks, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. You know, before I was married, and even very early on in my marriage, I always expected that when, when I would get married, that there would be this magical thing that happens. Scripture talks about how the two become one. I always imagined that somehow my wife and I would kind of magically, like, we would eclipse each other. We would meld into one. We would share all the same thoughts, all the same priorities. We would be able to be just in total cahoots, right? Look at each other from across the table and not even have to speak. Just, you know? Just totally understand each other and move forward like that. We would meet each other's needs perfectly that did not happen. (laughs) It turns out that although I have married a stellar woman, I really have, I mean, I've married the best for me, although that's very true, it became obvious to me even just a couple weeks into our marriage that there were some things that my wife did that weren't quite... I wouldn't even say that she didn't do them well, because she did them well. It just—it was a lacking a certain. It's—it's it's like this. She just didn't do it quite like my mom did, you know. And so there were some things that were just kind of not really ugh, up to up to standard. And so I began to influence her, and uh, to try to teach her. And I've told you before about you know my wife was in the habit when we first got married to hanging up my T-shirts. It always left me with these shoulder nipples. And so I had, to, I had to begin to influence her and teach her how to fold the T-shirts so the creases are right here. Because this is, I, I didn't really care for this either. It's full, I, I like them like with the folds right here. And so I had to influence her and teach her about those things, right? And what happened when I began to influence my wife is that um, I noticed that the more things I would try to influence her about the more those insecurities began to come to the surface, right? And uh, I, wish, I wish that there was a way that we could read minds so I wouldn't even have to talk to her about it and even bring it up because it became risky to bring up these really necessary things <laughs> that she needed to be kind of <laughs> educated on. And these security, insecurities came to the surface and... Uh, actually ended up creating even more of a mess for both of us, right? The truth is that we are to influence each other. Iron sharpens iron. That God has given you a spouse. He has brought you into relationship with this person. I've heard uh, Aaron Weiser talk about how he honestly believes That the person you are married to is the exact right person to work on the things that the Lord is desiring to speak into. Did I get that right, Aaron? I think. I don't know. Yep. You're good? Yep. That there is a, a necessity for us to influence our spouse. But here's the thing. I believe that the Lord is asking us to influence your, our spouse towards a greater experience of love. And if you can get the T-shirts folded correct, that's bonus. But the real priority is that we would influence each other towards a greater experience of love. And specifically, not just a greater experience of my love for her or her love for me, but influence them towards a greater experience of the gospel love of Jesus Christ. And what impresses me so much in this story is this man's very excellent example. I want to share with you two things, uh, two pieces of example that this man does to influence his wife towards a greater experience, not only of his own love, but also of the love of God through the gospel. The first one is, he makes this statement. He says to his girlfriend at this point, twice in that passage, he says, arise, come away with me, my beautiful one. This man is invitational in his influence of his wife. Invitation does not come with a punishment. My girls yesterday were invited to two birthday parties. There was no sense that if they don't go to these parties that they were invited to, that there would be, there may be consequences, right? Uh, Missed out on a good time, that type of thing. But there was no punishment. They have been invited and when you are invited into something, it is not paired with punishment. Invitation. Invitation is an influence that invites and says, I have something more to learn. Would you be willing to, uh, to come into my, my, my realm, into my world, and bring yourself into that? Uh, I'm so impressed with this man. He actually, on the front end, has a vision for this woman. He says, arise, bring yourself to me as you are. Listen, I've seen you. I've seen you in your brother's vineyards. I've seen you that you are dark, yet you are lovely. And I have a vision for you. The winter is past. The rains are gone. I have a vision for you. I have something I want to invite you into. And if you do not step into it, you are not punished. But if you do not step into it, you are missing a greater experience of love. Your brothers have abused you. Your brothers have been hard on you. I am inviting you into the care of our vineyard. Together, arise and come with me. The invitation says, I have more to learn. I want you to bring yourself to me. Uh, a vineyard is a place of promise. It's a place of presence. It's a, pre- uh, a place of rest. He says, I have created a space, our vineyard. I have created a space for you to give me an honest Reply. I've created a place for you to share with me your insecurities, what you're wrestling with, uh, to approach me and ask me for help and for that all to happen in a very safe context. You know, honestly, to me, of, one of the hang-ups for me personally in developing this skill of being invitational in my influence, is what if my wife asks me to do something that I don't wanna do? What if in her need she requires something of me that is beyond what I'm able to do or maybe even don't feel is appropriate or necessary? What about that? And I would just say that um, as is always the case, she has some autonomy and so do you. Both parties in the marriage you do not eclipse and, and lose yourself, your self-ness, but you too as individuals step into the vineyard. Um, and so, I am not necessarily obligated to do everything that my wife asks, nor is it appropriate, nor is it healthy, and nor, nor is she obligated to do everything that I ask. But is there space for that conversation? or is it, uh, or, or is she punished? for not accepting my invitation, right? I would encourage you to begin to consider what it might look like for your influence of each other in marriage to take the form of an invitation, to allow yourself to be, uh, to be curious about the heart and the needs and the thoughts of the other person be curious about those. And when they respond to you in honesty, when they take that great risk and are honest to you about those very personal challenges, insecurities, you will tell them if your banner over them is love or not by how you respond to that. Your response is an invitation to even more revelation. He says, arise. And come away. And he also makes this other statement. He says, "I want you to catch the foxes that spoil our vineyard." A couple of, a couple of Christmases ago, I wanted to get my wife a personalized license plate. Um, Maybe I've told you this story before. I thought it would be really cool. Uh, uh, My last name is Bower Socks. I was going to work it so that it, rather than saying Bower Socks, I was going to have it, for her van, I was going to have it say Bower Fox. I thought it was pretty clever. And I sent in my check and my request, and the state of Alaska actually denied that. They said it was inappropriate. like, relax, it's my last name, Bower Fox. She's foxy. You know, get it? But that's not really what's happening here. A fox in this context is um, uh, a a critter that comes in, creeps into the vineyard. Do you remember what the vineyard means? It's a restful, personal relationship of promise, a safe place, uh, a place where love is cultivated. And these foxes sneak in. The dark am I sneak in. These insecurities And they begin to wreak havoc on the vineyard. Maybe you've seen that to be true in in your own relationships. It doesn't have to just be marriage, but relationships in general. Our insecurities, our hang-ups tend to do a number on these vineyards. What I love about this man is that he has the confidence. He is willing to let the owner take ownership he says, hey, I've noticed that there are foxes, right? Not like foxy. Foxes like little critters that are ruining our vineyard. And you know what? There's really not much I can do about that. Those are yours. And so I'm begging you, please, for the sake of our vineyard, I'm letting you take ownership. There are, there are issues that you wrestle with, insecurities, things that are hard, on our marriage, and those are entirely yours. I'm not gonna pick those up and carry them. However, I'm not going anywhere either. I'm right here, and the banner over you is love, right? I am your rallying point. I will come and be your support. I will, I will go with you as you work through those things, but those are your foxes. They're entirely up to you. To deal with. There is an autonomy to the marriage relationship. You have not eclipsed, but you are both even now very much individuals with your own faith in God, your own physical challenges, your own own past, your own temptations, each of you individuals who have come together under this banner to step into and and be another display of Jesus' gospel love. And yet there is an autonomy, an individuality that must be honored. This morning, my, uh, I left the house before my wife. And so I knocked on the bathroom door. Is this, is this outfit OK? Do I look OK? I know that the sweater is getting smaller. And I notice that the collar is goofy. My wife went on to say, the blue shirt, it's a a little... And then she never finished it. So I don't know what she thinks of the blue T-shirt. I said, oh, yeah, okay, but the sweater, yeah, I, I know that I asked your opinion, but the truth is the sweater is my favorite sweater. And the blue shirt, I just, I know that Scott will be thrilled to see that both of the pastors are wearing his rain gutter shirts on stage. So, so there's, there's that, right? That counts for something. And she looked at me, and she said, you know, you're right. You look fine. <laughs> I thought, autonomy, honor, honor the individuality, right? Do not stifle me. Uh, we influence each other, but at the same time, we must honor autonomy. Your spouse is an individual created In God's image and created for the purpose of ruling and subduing every one of us, ruling and subduing the foxes in our life. It's interesting to me and I've seen in some marriages where one spouse will want to uh, come to the rescue of the other one who is wrestling with foxes and in so doing, they substitute the strength of that person They don't come along and serve alongside as that person wrestles with their foxes, but they they substitute that person's will and strength to wrestle with the foxes. And let me just say this. When you substitute your spouse's strength, you take away their strength. You allow them to sit there and and, uh, just kind of soak in their own maybe selfishness. Give them the freedom to wrestle with their foxes it is their job to do. But let them know that the banner over them is love, that you're not going anywhere, that you're going to serve them as they catch the foxes, the foxes that ruin the vineyard. My, my hang-up sometimes, uh, when my wife's foxes show up, and certainly you know, you know that my wife is married to a man with foxes. You know that, right? But I'm the one with the microphone, so I'm telling the story from my side of things. When my wife, when her insecurities, when her foxes come to the surface, there is a hang up for me. I'm tempted to, to, uh, to punish her for having foxes. I'm tempted for, to, to throw her away for having foxes that ruin the vineyard. The hang up for me is, what do your foxes say about me? And in that moment, I realized that I am not experiencing the greatest experience of gospel love either. When I am tempted to mistreat my wife in our vineyard because of the foxes that exist there, uh, I begin to entrust myself to the Lord. I say to the Lord, Lord, you know that I'm gonna stand right here and serve my wife and love her, but I'm not gonna take up her foxes. I'm gonna let her be an individual, and she's gonna do the same for me. We are together as individuals in this covenant. And I think sometimes the reason why we resist this kind of influence Especially in marriage, simply because often influence comes to, well I shouldn't say often. It may be that influence in your marriage is not safe. It's not trusted. that the promises that make vineyard vineyard <laughs> that the promises are questioned or your participation is demanded. Uh, In short, there is no vineyard, no gospel. This man, this really wonderful example of a man who brings gospel into the vineyard. He says, I've provided everything, but I'm leaving it up to you to step into it. I'd like to invite the worship team forward. As you read through the rest of Song of Solomon, you find out that several chapters later, the woman is now married to the man, and in their marriage, she continues to wrestle with insecurities. She's had some victory, but also she's wrestling with these incons- in- 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 insecurities. Insecurities she carries her issues from her past. When she was mistreated as a kid by her brothers, when her vineyard was unkept, she carries those issues with her into marriage. The I do's did not resolve it for her, right? She carries them into marriage with her, and yet she continues to work on them. And again, what I love about this relationship, the two of them, is that as she wrestles with her insecurities, as she, as she steps out bravely to conquer the foxes, she always knows what to expect from her husband. He is a man of promise. He is a man of rest. He is a man of love. She knows this, and I know that she knows this, because she says, look, even though I go out, to wrestle with my own demons. Look, his banner over me is love. He is patient and kind. He doesn't envy. He's not arrogant. He's not rude. He's not demanding. His banner over me is love. And I would say to you this morning that if you're discouraged at all about uh, how influence is happening in your marriage, that you also are a display of the glory of the gospel message. That you, as an individual, can honor your own autonomy and step into the example of Christ, taking up your cross, serving your spouse, loving them, as a banner waves over them. And I would also say this, it is an example of the gospel. Our marriage, your marriage, it is today. Even if it's a terrible marriage, it is still an example. That is the point, the purpose of marriage, to be a display of the glory of the gospel. And I would would just hate for you to miss the message of the gospel. 2,000 years ago, when you and I were estranged from God, when there was weirdness between us, while we were still wrestling with our foxes, Jesus came to earth, died on the cross. He perfectly paid for and prepared everything for us that we might have his righteousness that we might be made right with the Lord. And even there on the cross and then in the grave, he says, I've provided everything. I have created a perfect vineyard for you. And I will honor your autonomy and not force you to step into it. Instead, I will invite you. Will you come and know my love for you? Would you stand? you know we have a number of ways to respond to this morning's message uh, offering receptacles around the room if you want to support the ministry of church of rock that's that's a great way to do that there are uh, people off to the side who would be glad to pray with you about anything we shared but really just about anything just people who love you that want to connect with you and go to the father with you it's also communion an opportunity to take the bread and the the uh, juice and remember jesus great provision for us his broken body his shed blood and of course now uh, time to worship and uh, consider the character of god uh, listen to the holy spirit as to how he would have you respond to this morning's message So let's do that Can be exhausting to catch foxes. Right? I would just say this morning, if you're somebody who says, "Skip, I, I have that stuff, those foxes in my life, in your marriage or otherwise," if you're just somebody who knows that there are foxes ruining your vineyard, right? There are tools available to you, and I would just encourage you—you find them in relationship, but also just a real specific place. You'll find them at Fresh Start. I'd encourage you to make a plan to get yourself there on Tuesday night, a fresh start. Begin to process the the old stuff, right? So that you can have some freedom, some life. I would say to you this too, this morning if you're exhausted by the foxes, the banner over you is the love of Christ. It is a rallying point It's not going anywhere. It's not changing. It's not, you are not punished for having foxes, but you can find rest rest and refreshment in his love. You really can It's not weird science. It's just looking to him and trusting him for that, all right? So may you find that rest under his love for you. Tonight, we have uh, house church. Tonight, uh, junior and senior high, actually junior high, this is their fellowship night, which is a party for them so they can look forward to that. Don't forget the many opportunities, the, the Tuesday trainings coming up, Fresh Start, uh, the ladies' night, you can find out more about those at the info table. The Lord bless you. We'll see you next week. You're dismissed.